In Mark chapter 4, verse 39, it says, He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Today we try to figure out if Jesus is a crazy person or whether or not he just doesn't like bacon. This is day six. Welcome to the Journey Through Mark podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's word. Together, we'll discuss the context and meaning of each passage and how the book of Mark can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to day six of the Journey Through Mark podcast. We're kicking off week two. I'm here with Brendan Lang, who wrote the Journey Through Mark commentary. He's an author, theologian, all that good stuff. And, and more. Expert <laughs> stage prop mover. And he can move anything you want. <laughs> if you're looking to move, call Brendan. <laughs> and I'm here with Melissa Payne. Hello. Who is our community life pastor for Ooh, students. Oh, so Student close. Community life. <laughs> I think Tyler just is messing this up on purpose now. I think no, he does that too. doesn't sound right. No. Well, as Brendan said, I'm Tyler, I'm the creative director here at the North Shore campus of Willow, mm-hmm. hosting us through the podcast. I have a question to kick off week two. When were you most afraid? Very straightforward today. When was the moment we were most afraid? You mean like in life? I was a kid, like six years old? Sure. Or do you mean like anything? Recently. When I said that, something stuck out to you. Melissa? You want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. So I would say when I first moved into my new apartment in the city that I live in, I was walking at night and I was walking from my car to my apartment and there was a scary guy standing in an alleyway staring me down. And so I thought about how fast can I get into my apartment and get something sharp? Wow. <laughs> because I was kind of a little scared for my That is life. no joke. I know. And it's a recent. I'm sorry. That was a recent thing. That's the one and only time that I have been scared living in Chicago. And it was like from your car just to your apartment. Yeah. And you didn't think to call any of your close friends who live very close <laughs> to you and could help you. I did end up calling someone for just support. And Great. then I was talked out of my crazy thoughts. And then I went to sleep. Great. And I was fine. Well, next time, <laughs> count on your neighbors. Then I bought some pepper spray. <laughs> there you go. Now I'm not afraid of anything. I can win. <laughs> Great. Brendan, what about you? What were you most afraid? I was wondering where she would go. Like, what kind of tone we're setting for scary I don't know. Because I, I was like, I said there you a, go. I said a Bar scary high. one. <laughs> you can keep I it think, light. Well, all right. I used to have these, like, night terrors. I used to get these a lot where I would be sleeping, mm-hmm. and I would feel like my body would not be able to move, like, in my dream. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? I yeah. Know, oh, yeah. Where it's exactly like, what you're there's like, about. almost feels there's like there's a, a demonic presence. Or there's like pressure. There's pressure on, on you. you. You're just like freaked out. Like, I can't mm-hmm. breathe. Like, I'm just whatever. And so, you know, you wake up, you're yeah. like, what's going on? Also, and sometimes so. you can't get out of the dream that you're oh, exactly. in. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you're trying to get out of it. So, yeah. There's once, so this was in college. I remember distinctly, I was sleeping. I don't even know what was happening in my dream, but I woke up. Again, I don't know how I got to this point. Yeah. But I blitzed across like our suite to get to the room where my other roommates were. And I just like jumped up on the bed and started hugging. Like because Aww. I was so scared. Like my heart was racing. I was screaming. Oh, buddy. Yeah. And I know. It's a very distinct memory. I have no idea even what was going on in the dream, but I was <laughs> right. obviously being chased by something. Right. And for the next 15 minutes, like I was scared. So, yeah. Oh man. When did those end for you? I don't know. 
Well, as soon as he started having some faith, yeah, as soon as <laughs> no, I went right? to Jesus, do you still have no faith? <laughs> what about you, Tyler? Mine is, I mean, it's a different vein, I guess. It's a little bit different. I was in college studying abroad. I was living in Germany, but a few of us were like, let's go check out Rome. And mm-hmm. so we went to Italy for a few days. Can't go there now. Thanks, coronavirus. <laughs> um, <laughs> But we went there and we were literally like leaving town, getting ready to walk out. And we were going to go down on the train and we we're going to take the metro or whatever, the underground train to the big train station, then head out. Mm-hmm. And we're getting to the underground station and a student protest comes by. And so there's like four of us and we're like, oh, gosh, guys, let's go. We'll head down the train and we'll be safe because they're not going to go down there. And we get down there like through this crowd that's just like crazy, a little bit like pushing people. Mm-hmm. It's not great. And somebody's missing. Oh, one no. of us is missing. Oh, one of your from your Guys. group. Yeah, one of our friends is missing. And I'm like, where did she go? Like, oh, like we were just, we went, well, yeah, we went like 20 feet. And so I left the other two with my bag and I just started like sprinting and running around because I'm like, this is like a violent crowd. We don't right. know where they mm-hmm. went. I just like ran around for like 45 minutes to an hour. We're almost like missing our big train at that point oh and just gosh. like didn't know where she was. And she had gotten pushed so far. She went down a different train entrance, like finally like grabbed onto a pole and like pulled herself into the train thing and then like met us further down the train station and we're just like what happened wow probably the most scared i've ever been the feeling that rises up in you when you're fearful yes it's crazy i took Mm. such a good nap after that (laughs) on the train oh yeah yeah oh my goodness that was something but jesus has words for us when we're afraid or at least he did for his disciples nope we'll get more into that why don't we start week two brendan want to take us through our commentary day six who is this man At the end of yesterday's reading, Jesus paused to teach about the kingdom of God through a series of parables. In today's reading, Jesus resumes his ministry with a series of miracles. As we've been discovering throughout Mark, Jesus' miracles were not just random acts of power and goodwill. Like his parables, the miracles that he performed taught veiled lessons. They demonstrated through actions what he had not said openly, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. The first miracle story we read about today illustrates this well. Mark 4, 35-41 tells of a time when Jesus calmed chaotic waters by the power of his voice. This was a profound miracle, one that would cause any of us to echo the disciples' words. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Its significance is amplified by the symbolism that Jesus' disciples would have attached to this miracle. In the cultural context in which the Bible was written, it was widely believed that the God who had power over chaotic waters was king of the gods. Throughout scripture, God leveraged this symbolic connection between water and kingship to stake a claim that he is the world's one true king. We see this connection, for example, in Psalm 93, 1-4, which says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. In light of this, we shouldn't miss the significance of what Jesus was teaching through this miracle. He wasn't just ensuring the safe passage of his friends across the sea, though he did care about their safety. By calming the waves, he demonstrated undeniably what Mark has been proclaiming from the beginning. Jesus is God and Jesus is King. For day six, we're reading Mark chapter four, verse 35 through chapter five, verse 20. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. 
Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Melissa, do you want to take us through our discussion questions for day six? First question. Following Jesus' exorcism of the demon-possessed man, the people of the town respond by asking Jesus to leave their region. Their response was likely motivated by a combination of fear and economic concern. Rather than seeing a tormented man set free, all they could see was the loss of the 2,000 pigs. This is an example of what Jesus meant in Mark 4.12 when he said, They may be ever seeing but never perceiving. What are some reasons why people chase Jesus away today? In what ways are people ever seeing but never perceiving in our culture? Second question. Like the disciples, we sometimes face storms in life that we don't know how to navigate. Jesus' question for the disciples then became questions for us. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? What storm are you currently facing or have faced recently? What would it look like for you to choose faith over fear in the midst of your storm? All right, we got a couple of really fun stories today that I'm excited to dive into. Very yep. narrative. What's clear to me is that there's a relationship between people and water. Mm-hmm. And I don't totally know what it is. I mean, pigs drown in the water. Oh, they're yeah. scared of the water. Yep. What's up with people and water at this time? Mm-hmm. Well, what's up with people and water today? They love it. They love it? Yeah, they love water. We I go love swimming. Water. We like rain. Oh, I guess maybe if you don't know how to swim, then you don't really love water. Yeah. 
Water is like, I mean, we were just talking about this, like there's a picture of the Sea of Galilee and yeah. talking about water yeah, levels. Yeah, for today's and, reading. Yep, mm-hmm. if you have the book in front of you. But I mean, water is super valuable. It's a necessity for life, but it's also it can be a menace. And mm. this goes back for me in ancient Near Eastern literature. So some of the most important myths. Mm, yes, I'm bringing it there. I'm getting excited. Here we go. <laughs> we could go ancient on this Near forever. <laughs> Let's do this. So this is this is my world. But to put it really quickly and succinctly. Here, some popcorn, Melissa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and some of the most influential ancient Near Eastern myths, water is a very clear menace. It presents a problem for the gods. Mm-hmm. And basically, the gods determine that the god that can overcome these waters, that can kill, divide the chaotic sea monster that represents the waters, that god gets elevated to be king of the gods. We see this in the Babylonian creation story. It's called Enuma Elish. Marduk mm-hmm. becomes mm. king of Babylon. Who mm-hmm. I know of because of an Indiana Jones game that I played when I was in junior high. There you go. Oh, yeah. That's we had to amazing. Defeat Marduk. Yeah. Thank you, Indiana Jones. <laughs> yep. You see this in the Balu epic. If you remember Baal, this is actually where we get the name Biel Sibyl that uh-huh. we see in Mark. Baal, huh. that's the god of people north of Israel. Mm-hmm. And Baal becomes king when he defeats Yamu. Or if anyway. you're from the south, it's Baal. Baal. Well, not. <laughs> That's actually how it's pronounced in Babylon. Baal simply means Lord in Akkadian. But anyway, this is the world of the Bible. The idea is that the chief God has power over the waters, defeats the waters. That's how they get control. That's how they become king. God in the Bible, we believe there's only one God, but still many times throughout scripture, you see hints, allusions to this where God overcomes waters, defeats, divides the waters. And that's what gives him sovereignty. That's what gives him authority. That's what makes him the king of Mm -hmm. Israel and the king of the world. You see this honestly in Genesis 1. You see it in Exodus 15 Mm -hmm. when the Israelites go through the waters of the Red Sea. You see it in the Joshua story when, again, the waters are divided, they're able to cross through the Jordan River, yeah. so on and so forth. That's what we see in the Old Testament. I think in the New Testament, this gets picked up too. Jesus controls mm-hmm. the waters. And it's again, it's him showing for his disciples who he is. He's God. Mm-hmm. He's doing things that only God can do. And he's king. Hmm. Sure does make him sound kind of like a crotchety old man, though. Oh what <laughs> what is to get off his lawn? Tyler. Quiet. Bring You're a cell. Talking about Jesus. I know. But still, <laughs> most people were probably like, what? You're a crazy person. Until the waters died down. And then you're like, oh, Whoa. okay. Yeah. I just think it's funny that Jesus is like sleeping on a cushion. Does it remind you of any stories in the Old Testament? Just curious. Jonah. Mm. Jonah. Oh. There are actually a lot of parallels between that story and this story. Oh, really? Yep. Go on. You know you want to go on. There are actually other things I want to point out, so we could go into that. But <laughs> if you see Brendan in person, ask him about how this story yeah. relates right. to Jonah. That is, that is cool, but I think there are other parallels there. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll move on. But yeah. I think it's interesting. Is In hindsight, it's probably easy to be like, these silly disciples, they're yeah. fine. Jesus is in the boat. Like, right. why are they freaking out? But it says like a furious squall and the waves were coming over the boat and it was nearly swamped. They're basically sinking. Right. Yeah. Any one of us probably would have been freaking out way more than they were. I mean, these guys, like half them are fishermen, right? Yeah. Right. So they're probably used to some of this. They're but- used to it. But again, if they've been at the sea a mm-hmm. lot and they're freaking out. This is a big storm. This is no joke. This is something they don't know how to navigate. But there is, again, some irony there that they're the experts. He's a carpenter. Right. He doesn't do this, but he's calm. So the interesting thing is this is all happens. Then he finally is like, be still. And he turns to his disciples and says, why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? Mm. Mm. Why would that be something that plays into this? That'd be my thought if I was in their position. But (laughs) it seems like an odd exchange. He's yelling at the wind. And then he... Why would it be odd? Just curious. What are you... Are we talking about the water? We're talking about the weather. (laughs) What does this have to do with... Come on, old man. I mean, these guys are (laughs) teenagers. So like this 32-year-old guy, 33-year-old guy's just yelling at the wind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Come on. That's ridiculous. (laughs) 
Yeah. So going back to Old Testament, I quoted Psalm 93, but I actually think there might even be some other Psalms that are more relevant for even understanding this. That one helps get across this kingship idea. But there's a really famous Psalm, Psalm 46, where you get this phrase, be still and know that I am God. And I think that I know that I am God mm-hmm. part is really, I mean, he's using the same words, be still, but the implication that I think they're supposed to draw is know that I am God. And that verse in Psalm 46, it's in the context of a Psalm that talks about waters rising up, crushing mm. the coast. Do you think that the disciples actually knew that verse? Do you yes. think that they knew that Psalm? You know that, don't you? This time, I do. But it's like, I don't know how long they've really been with Jesus to For sure. know. And that's the piece. And we'll see this. They never really totally figured this out. Right. It's not till Mark 8 where Peter finally puts it all together. You are the Messiah, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And even then, like, what does it mean to say he's the Messiah? Does that mean he's God in the flesh? Obviously not enough to but, have him not deny him three times, but <laughs> spoiler, sorry, keep going. There you go. So it's kind of this mystery. We've talked about this a little bit, this mystery of Jesus that he reveals himself mm-hmm. in ways, but he also sort of then covers things up again. And just, mm-hmm. I wish I had a better analogy. I almost think of like an onion, you like peel off the layers, right. but I guess you don't really put the layers, layers back, back on. on, but that's kind of what he does a lot. It's like he yeah. gives them these glimpses, then covers it up where he says, again, don't tell anybody about this, mm-hmm. this type of stuff, because again, he wants the mystery of who he is to be revealed mm-hmm. slowly and at the appropriate time. Well, mm-hmm. so they land assumedly safely. Yeah. We're assuming that they made it all safe. And then right off the bat, we encounter this other guy, apparently very strong, or the demons inside of him are very strong. And Jesus really doesn't even cast them out, just allows them to lead this man. I think they're just like so overwhelmed by the power. They knew what he could do, these Mm -hmm. demons. And they're like, please sort of spare us. And then he casts the demons into some poor pigs, a couple thousand of them. A couple thousand. That's pretty remarkable. Saving this guy, another pretty extravagant miracle. Why did people ask for him to leave mm-hmm. as soon as this is done? Why were they like, oh, this is great. This guy's normal. Pigs are gone. They drowned. But why would they be like, now you get out? Well, who mm-hmm. do you suppose owned the pigs? A farmer. A farmer. <laughs> just a farmer. <laughs> yeah. So you tell me, people... you probably have the most experience yeah. identifying in the story who exactly. owned the pigs, Brendan. <laughs> well, so, all right. Think about this for a second. I'm in Iowa. Got it. They're not in Iowa. <laughs> okay. But are they in Jewish territory at this point? Would a good Jew own a bunch of pigs? <laughs> good point. Uh, yeah, probably no. not. <laughs> no. This story tells us they've gone to the other side of the lake. And the other side of the lake, it's an area called the Decapolis, which is Gentile region. This isn't Jewish mm-hmm. territory anymore. Okay. And actually, what's interesting to me is you don't see the disciples in the story, do you? Oh, no. Mm-mm. You only see Jesus. The disciples, it's almost like they don't get out of the boat because this is a place they don't really want to go to. Mm. Oh. Which I think is interesting. So they're in Gentile territory and there are all these pigs. And obviously, they belong to someone. There are wild pigs, I guess, right. but 2,000 pigs. You would have to be pretty yeah, these, wealthy, these right? These belong to the people of the town. Yeah. And so when Jesus sends the demons into the pigs, which by the way, what's the name of the demons again? Legion. 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 Jesus sends demons who have the name of a Roman military troop, right? What is it, like 10,000, 20,000? It's a bit of polemic actually against Roman imperial power, hmm. which I think is kind of interesting. But sends them into the sea and this causes great economic loss for the people of the city. Mm-hmm. And so even though this guy who they've chained up said, we don't want you in our town, is now freed of all these demons, they want Jesus to go away because fear of who he is. We don't understand this guy. Mm-hmm. In Jewish world, people are putting together these pieces. This guy might be the Messiah because he's doing messianic types of things. They don't have any conception of the Messiah. Right. This is actually why Jesus tells someone not to hide who he is mm. because they don't have any conception of the Messiah. So it's not a problem for this person to actually go reveal who Jesus is to, them, to his community. But they're scared of Jesus and they're scared of how much more money they might lose if he sticks around. Oh, wow. That makes sense. 
I notice that when there's certain things in scripture, you realize that there's a reason that they're in there. And they talk about this man like living in the tombs, that they tried to chain him, but he wouldn't stay. What is the significance of this man like living among the tombs, like among the dead? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just have questions about that. This is an area where people don't hang out. People don't really hang out in cemeteries today, right? Right. No, definitely. Especially if you're in a Jewish world, you definitely don't hang around this because this makes you unclean. Okay. Which, again, is interesting that Jesus goes into that area. Right. The Son of God, you'd think, would be worried about things like what's clean and what's not clean. Right. He risks ritual impurity by touching a demon-possessed man by entering into an area like this. But what we're actually going to discover in this story and in future stories Mm -hmm. is that he reverses cleanliness. Right. He takes what's unclean and he makes it clean as opposed to becoming unclean. So he's in this area where people don't go. People don't want to be around him. It's where marginalized people Hmm. are sometimes put. You know, I feel like for us today, that's probably the most difficult thing to do is understand where we have to go Mm -hmm. and where we have to spread the gospel, the type of people that we have to go and spread the good news to. And for us, there's a cultural thing in Christianity that says we have to stay within the people that we know and are Mm. safe. Because if we go into the world, then we'll just become the world, Mm. right? That's the problem. Mm. So how do we actually do this? How do we practically go where we're supposed to and have faith that we're going to be okay in doing that and this is what we're supposed to do? I think I'm still learning what this looks like because growing up, it was drilled into my head that like you've got to surround yourself with believers that are going to encourage you and walk with you and support you. And so when you hang out with people that don't believe the same thing or that are into things that maybe cause you to stumble, that was always the thing we always talked about. But it was just this idea that like, oh, if you were going to go and be with these people that didn't believe the same thing that you did or were into things that you shouldn't be into, then you were going to be just like them. Which I always found like, ironic that I was taught that. I don't know about you, but like, well, it shows how much confidence you have in what you've been teaching me (laughs) that you think that the moment I go hang out with people that don't think the way that I do, I'm going to be like turned or something. And doesn't it mean that like Jesus is with you? Yeah. And he's going with you? It does seem like a catch-22. Yeah. He's with you, but don't go anywhere. Right. Because... You just never know. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I'm still learning what that looks like and kind of trying to reverse that mentality. Yeah. Brendan, what about you? I would echo that. I think it's a balance that we're always figuring out. I would say that there are probably situations in life where certain people in certain stages of their faith walk, like you probably shouldn't put yourself in those situations. I agree. I would say that also... For Christians, especially those who like you are further along in your faith, like if there's something that's a clear temptation, like real mm-hmm. struggle for you personally that you've had to overcome in your walk with Christ and right. your efforts to become a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you shouldn't put yourself in situations where you're going to face those temptations. But I would say that, like, as Christians, this is the call. I mean, we're supposed to go into all nations, make disciples of all nations. So if this is what Jesus did, we should follow the same path that he did and not be afraid always of what other people might do or how they might change. I mean, the call is to proclaim the gospel to all nations. And so Mm -hmm. we need to be that light in places like this. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, because when I look back, like probably just in the last like 10 years of my life, have I really stepped out of the Christian bubble? Because I think there's safety there. And I think you feel, oh, I'm growing in my Bible study and I want to keep learning more. And I want to be surrounded by people that are encouraging me and walking with me. But if we're just full of God's word and joy, and we're not giving it to anyone that doesn't know him, 
then like, what are we doing? And so I mm-hmm. think that's where I feel yeah. a little conviction of like, okay, who are you going to tell? And where are you putting yourself in places like Jesus did? Yeah, you know? for me, what sticks out in this story is look at where this guy was. Mm-hmm. You said that he was in the tombs. Yeah. I can only presume because they were just hoping that without any family or any food or anything, yeah. this guy would he die just, pretty quickly yeah. and just bury him right there. What does it say that Jesus went and started resurrecting people already, like before they yeah. died? Right. He didn't save this guy's life, but he saved him from demon possession and mm-hmm. from a faith that everybody else had hoped for him, honestly. Mm-hmm. So for me, I take it the same way. Like, what does it say that we're willing mm-hmm. to go in some of those tough situations? Mm-hmm situations. And while you got to balance your own temptation and all that stuff, but what does it say that you're willing to risk it Mm -hmm. a little bit, that you are allowing yourself to go outside of your comfort zone? I mean, I see this all over the world. Some of the most honoring situations that you can have culturally with people is when you can act in a way that is Mm countercultural. And Jesus does that all the time. He goes to this place that probably nobody's going there unless they're burying their dead, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he starts changing people's lives in a positive way. Absolutely. I think that's what we're called to do is go and act in a countercultural way, but go to the places that maybe other Christians wouldn't be willing to go. Mm-hmm. Right. I do agree. It's a balance, though, because yeah. you do need those people surrounding you. and For sure. But I would say about this guy, he's a marginalized person. And I think that's part of the call, too. Mm-hmm. It's not just like going into places that are dark or different. It's like seeking out the people like this who've been excluded by right. society and saying, you have value, you have dignity. Right. And I'm going to show you Jesus. Jesus shows up in the person's life and gives them a new purpose. He says, right. go into the town and tell everybody what you've experienced. And these are the people that Jesus touched and healed, you know, yep. the outcasts. I think going into these situations confidently for us today shows that we have confidence in the message that we're bringing too. It yeah. shows the faith mm-hmm. that we have that yeah. we're going to be okay when yeah. we go take care of those things. But going back to the last story of Jesus sleeping in the boat, it's this moment of, do you not have faith? That's a question that he asks his disciples. And for us today, that's a little bit more intangible. I mean, there's real life things, just like this is a real life storm with real waves, but we have metaphoric versions of that all the time. Politically, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of turmoil. Financially, there's always turmoil. Health-wise, there's (laughs) lots of turmoil right now. So how do we have faith? Like practically, how do we balance this in a way that we can approach our lives in a healthy manner? I think when the storms come for me, I try to go back to the last time that I Hmm. saw God do something amazing in my life or where I saw him answer something unexpected or I really saw him show up when I needed him and when I was looking for hope because it reminds me that if he did that then, that he's going to do it again. But I think sometimes we just get lost in whatever storm that we're in that we kind of forget the faithfulness that God has for us, like that he is to us. And so I just usually try to go back to remember what he has done. I was actually just thinking those words, fear and faith, they're also key in this story about the man who's healed at the tombs. The people Mm -hmm. are afraid. And in tomorrow's reading, again, we're going to be about two people who have the choice between fear and faith. So this is a big theme. And I think for me, like you said, Melissa, it's remembering that Jesus is in control. Mm -hmm. And that means he's working things out in the way that he deems best. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like having confidence in that. It's scary. We like to be in control. I like to be in control for sure. (laughs) Yeah, me too. But there's also something freeing about saying, I acknowledge that you have control of things, especially when things spiral out of control for me, when I can't control what's going on around me. And so it's just remembering that, hanging on to that, and again, looking to the model that Jesus gave us. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Tyler? 
You know, I think that your view of faith and your view of confidence in faith is often, whether you like it or not, going to be framed by how you view Jesus mm-hmm. and who he is mm-hmm. and how powerful what he did really is. So for me, there's a lot of religion that's been built around Jesus and a lot of 10 steps to do this and 10 steps to stop doing this and all of that good stuff. But if you believe that what Jesus did was perfect and that he was the true Messiah, he came and he did do what he says that he did. Some of these things that we struggle with, or all of these things that we struggle with, no matter what storm it is, what area of your life it is, it's not a big deal mm. to him. And it shouldn't be a big deal for us. Like if you take a mm. step back and you realize that even yeah. in those difficulties of like, hey, your friends aren't believing mm-hmm. and, or they're not having faith or you have a crisis of faith. If you take a step back and view his death and resurrection as perfect, then that stuff doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Then what he did is saved all of us no matter what. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, when we all meet him, whether we have chosen to, you know, follow his will or not, what he did is still perfect. Yeah. And that frees up a lot of the details of it. Mm-hmm. That frees up a lot of your day-to-day stress and anxiety around life because what he did is still perfect. And that's really what I have to fall back to because a lot of days there's nothing left. That's all there is. And that's okay. Thanks for joining us for the Journey Through Mark podcast. If this is your first time, we're so glad you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and share your journey experience on social media with the hashtag willowjourney. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check out willowcreek.org. We'll see you tomorrow.